Meredith Michaels on personal identity. While they are illuminating, particularly in relation to one another, these traditional answers to the philosophical problem of self-identity raise as many questions as they answer. To see this, let us travel to a not very distant make-believe world. One night, after a serious bout with the library, you and your best friend Wanda Bag, or Walter if you prefer, decide to indulge yourselves at the College Haven. Before you can stop her, Wanda steps out in front of a steamroller that happens to be moving down Main Street. Wanda is crushed. Witnessing the horror of your accident, you have a stroke. Fortunately, Dr. Hagen does, the famous neurosurgeon who has been visiting the campus, is also on the way to the College Haven. Taking charge, he rushes you and Wanda to the health centre, where he performs a body transplant. He takes Wanda's brain, which miraculously escaped the impact of the steamroller, and puts it in the place of yours, which was, of course, severely damaged after the stroke. After several days, the following battle ensues. Wanda's parents claim that they are under no obligation to continue paying tuition. After all, Wanda was killed by the steamroller. And your parents claim that they are under no obligation to continue paying tuition. After all, you died of a stroke. It's clear then that a basic question is in need of an answer. Who is the person lying in the bed at the health centre? Is it Wanda? Is it you? Is it someone else altogether? For the sake of discussion, let's call the person lying in the bed Schwanda. What reasons do we have for believing that Schwanda is Wanda? Given that one's self-consciousness, one's thoughts, beliefs and feelings are all mental phenomena, we might naturally conclude that a person goes wherever her brain goes, on the assumption that our mental characteristics are more likely located in the brain than, say, in our smallest left toe. Schwanda will remember having set off for the college haven with you. She will remember receiving the college acceptance letter addressed, Dear Wanda, we're happy to inform you that... And she'll remember being hugged by Wanda's mother on the afternoon of her first day of school. That is, Schwanda will believe that she is Wanda. Nevertheless, the fact that Schwanda believes herself to be Wanda does not itself guarantee that she is. Do we have any basis for insisting that Schwanda is Wanda and not someone who is deluded into thinking that she's Wanda? How can we determine whether Schwander's wonder memories are genuine and not merely apparent? As we came to realise in our discussion of Locke's memory theory, it's not legitimate at any point to appeal to the self-identity of Schwander and Wanda, since that is precisely what we're trying to determine. In other words, in attempting to establish that Schwander's wonder memories are genuine memories, we cannot argue that they are genuine on the grounds that Schwanda is Wanda. Perhaps it's possible to stop short of circularity. Why couldn't we say that Schwanda's Wanda memories are genuine because the brain that is remembering is the same brain that had the original experiences? 
Thus, the experiences are preserved in the very organ that underwent them. Though there is an initial plausibility to this response, it fails to solve our problem. Suppose that Schwander is Wanda, remembering the experience of learning to ride a bicycle. Though the brain in question is indeed the same, it is nonetheless clear to all of us that brains alone do not learn to ride bicycles, nor indeed do brains alone remember having done so. People learn how to ride bicycles, and people remember having done so. And the question we are trying to answer is whether Schwander, who is remembering, is the same person as Wanda, who did the bicycling. The appeal to the fact that the same brain is involved in each event does not provide us with a way out of the Lockean circle. It is at this point that philosophers begin to reconsider the Aristotelian position mentioned earlier, that self-identity is essentially bodily identity. If the body theory of personal identity is true, then the person lying in the bed at the health centre is you, deluded into believing that you are Wanda. That is, Schwander is self-identical to you. You might wonder at this point whether there are any positive reasons for endorsing the body theory, or whether it is simply a place to which one only retreats in defeat. The following case is designed to persuade you that there is at least some plausibility to the body theory. Suppose that an evil scientist, Dr. Nefarious, has selected you as his prime subject for a horrible experiment. You are dragged into his office. He says, tomorrow at five, you will be subjected to the most terrible tortures. Your nails will be pulled out one by one. Rats will be caged around your head. Burning oil will drip slowly down your back. The remainder I leave as a surprise. Are you worried about what will happen to you at five o'clock tomorrow? If you have any sense, you are. If you think of the excruciating pain and the suffering you will undergo and would surely do just about anything to avoid it. But now, Dr. Nefarious says, tomorrow at 4.55, I will use my dememorizer to erase your memory of this conversation. Are you still anxious about what is going to happen to you tomorrow at five o'clock? Surely you are. After all, the fact that you won't, between 4.55 and 5, be anticipating your torture doesn't entail that the torture itself will be any less painful. When you forget that your calculus professor told the class that there would be a test on Friday, you aren't thereby spared the experience of having to take the test. In fact, in that case, the experience is made worse by your not having had the opportunity to anticipate it. Now, Dr. Nefarious says, tomorrow at 4.57, I will use my dememorizer to erase all of your memories. Are you still anxious about what will happen tomorrow at five o'clock? Isn't it natural to describe the situation as one in which you will undergo horrible torture, though you won't know who you are or why this is happening to you? You will still experience your fingernails being pulled out, your back being burned, your face being eaten up by rats. Surely those experiences are ones you would like to avoid. Finally, Dr. Nefarious says to you, tomorrow at 4.58, I'm going to use my rememorizer 
to implant in your brain all of Ronald Reagan's memories. Though this may not please you for personal or political reasons, the relevant question remains this. Are you still worried about what's going to happen tomorrow at five o'clock? Isn't it again perfectly natural to describe the situation as one in which you'll undergo horrible torture, all the while believing that you are Ronald Reagan? Do you not now remain concerned that you are Ronald Reagan? Do you not now remain concerned that you will experience excruciating pain and intolerable suffering? Look at your fingernails while you consider the answer to this question. What this story demonstrates is not the conclusive superiority of the body theory over the memory or brain theory, but rather the importance of our bodies to our self-identity. This is something that tends to get lost in the traditional conceptions of personal identity. Furthermore, returning to the case of Schwander, we can now see that it is not altogether preposterous to argue that Schwander is indeed you, deluded into believing that she is Wanda. In other words, anyone who wishes to dismiss the possibility must also dismiss the possibility that the person who undergoes torture is indeed you, deluded into thinking that you're Ronald Reagan. While it is true that we tend to identify ourselves with and by our thoughts, beliefs, inclinations and feelings, our discussion of the body theory should remind us that there are reasons for believing that our bodies are, at the very least, important to who we are. Some philosophers would argue that our bodies are who we are, that self-identity is bodily identity. In considering these admittedly fanciful problem cases, we have seen that we lack a concept of self-identity that allows us to predict when we would or wouldn't persist through time. This might suggest to us that our concept of self-identity is not an all-or-nothing one, that, in fact, our concept is one which admits of degrees. If so, we are no longer talking about identity per se, which is an all-or-nothing concept, but rather about some relation of the psychological and physical connectedness. Nevertheless, we can now see first that an answer to the question of who ought to pay Schwander's tuition will depend upon which theory of personal identity we are inclined to endorse, and second, that the answer may not be as clear and unequivocal as we would like it to be.